At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. thankful for this day because it is the day that the Lord has made. <sighs> Meanwhile, two days ago was Black Friday, and it's been interesting to see how Black Friday has evolved over the past decade or so, maybe six, seven years. About five to six years ago, due to excessive physical violence in stores over things like TVs and children's toys, uh, companies started moving to the online and in-store model once a year. When that didn't work, when the violence didn't stop at the in-store portion of the program, they decided to make Black Friday span the entire week of Thanksgiving and Black Friday, which is what we see today. And while the deals may be great, we as Christians have to remind ourselves that the most important gifts in life cannot be bought. For example, that time that you were able to spend with a loved one that has since passed will remain a precious memory with you for as long as you live on this earth. And I'm willing to bet that you remember being excited to hear that someone you love was coming to see you. But do you remember the gifts that you got that year by comparison? In contrast to Black Friday, so aptly named to celebrate the profits that businesses made on that day, today begins the season of Advent, a time set aside in the Christian calendar to reflect on the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Now, Advent is a Latin word, comes from a Latin word, which is Adventus, which literally just means coming. The observance of Advent places Jesus' first coming into the world in a lowly manger in Bethlehem within the larger historical context of redemptive history. It points directly to the long-promised Messiah that God would send his people. Today, we're going to start a brand new series on the coming of Jesus Christ into the world called Fulfilled, His Promise Kept, Our Longing Met. We'll be walking through the book of Matthew, chapters 1 through 3, to see how God's kept promise meets our deepest longings in Jesus' birth. So as we begin our new message series today, I want you to pause for a few moments and think about this question. Do you believe that God keeps his promises. Do you act like you believe that God keeps all of his promises? Would those closest to you see this in your daily living? This is not a small thing to answer. How you answer this question determines how you view Christmas, Jesus' birth, and ultimately who God is. As pastor and theologian A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Regardless of what we think about who God is, he is larger, more profound, and more intentional towards his people than we could ever comprehend because of his covenant faithfulness. 
Today we're going to dive into the text of Matthew chapter 1 to read about the birth of Jesus. And I'm willing to bet most of us here, if not all of us, have heard the story in the birth of Jesus. Have we not? Okay, muttering. Yeah, okay. And many of you have heard probably at least one sermon every single year about this event. But my hope today is that you will walk away from this place understanding a momentous truth. Namely, that God loved us so much that he fulfilled his most important promise to us personally here on earth. And as you'll see in a minute, important promises from God are given as covenants, which God fulfills faithfully, even as we, his covenant people, have been unfaithful throughout the ages. As we begin our new message series, we must look at its very title, Fulfilled, His Promise Kept, Our Longing Met. What promises did God keep? What longing do we have that even needs met? I'm going to show you three promises that God made before Jesus' birth for context that we need to look at before jumping into Matthew chapter 1. Join me by following on the screens behind me to Genesis 3, starting in verse 15. You may be familiar with the story. After creation, God gave the man one rule. He had one job which was to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve was deceived by Satan. Both she and Adam ate of the fruit, causing the fall into sin. As God is explaining the consequences for these actions, God says these words to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Who's the he that God promises would bruise Satan's head and whose heel he would bruise? All right, now let's fast forward to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 with me, to the call of Abram. And the word says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God then acted on his promise in creating a covenant with Abram in Genesis 15, starting in verses 3 through 5. Follow me there on the screen. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. Fourteen generations later, we see God making a covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 12. And the word says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. All right, so now we can take a deep breath after that warp speed travel through God's promises in the Old Testament to Abraham and David. That was a lot of information, but it's vital for understanding how Jesus' birth is a promise kept. This is not even including God's promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. So now, as we open up to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to see that the big idea for today's message is that in Jesus, God comes to be with us. In Jesus, God comes to be with us. Turn your Bibles with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So the first sentence that we're met with in this passage is now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. In order to understand why verses 18 through 25 were put together and said in the way that they were, we have to understand the context of why Matthew wrote his gospel. Matthew wrote his gospel to his fellow Jews to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah, the inheritor of the throne over Israel in the bloodline of King David, and the fulfillment of the promise and covenant made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. And if you look at Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, you'll see the genealogy or family tree of Jesus. Why would Matthew start his gospel like this, starting with saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The Jews understood the promises and covenants that God made with David and Abraham, as well as prophecies made about the Messiah from the Old Testament. They also knew that God worked consistently throughout all of history, and if the claim was that Jesus was the Messiah, well, Matthew better be ready to prove it. When two parties made a covenant in biblical times, the two parties would sacrifice an animal by cutting it into two pieces, walking between the two pieces, and saying, may God do this to me, and much worse, should I break this covenant. Covenants were a big deal, unlike any promise we make today, unlike any contract we sign today. And Matthew knew this, and was authoritatively claiming that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise and unconditional covenant with Abraham. 
Matthew was also claiming that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's covenant with David. David was a member of the tribe of Judah. So was Jesus. It was about the bloodline. Having supported his claims with Jesus' genealogy connecting Abraham to David to Jesus, Matthew then states in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And we read that Jesus' mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And upon finding out that Mary was pregnant, Joseph knew it was not his child and decided to honor Mary by divorcing her quietly because he did not know it was from the Holy Spirit. It's important to point out that betrothal in biblical times is different, was different, than engagements today. Betrothals in much of the Bible's history involved two families in a formal contract as legally binding as the marriage itself. It involved the groom paying a dowry to the family of the bride as a business transaction. Now, after the betrothal, then there were three things left to do. The wedding celebration, the bride's move into the groom's house, and then the consummation of the marriage, none of which had it happened yet in the story. Before the angel's divine interruption of Joseph's plan, Joseph truly believed that Mary had violated the betrothal agreement and that his only honorable option was to end the contract and receive his dowry back. Luke chapter 1 tells us that after the angel Gabriel informed Mary of what was happening, Mary then went to visit her relative Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, and they celebrated the news of their shared pregnancy together. Mary then stayed with Elizabeth about three months before returning to her father's home. So with that said, Mary did not live with Joseph before marriage. She didn't have a phone to call Joseph. She couldn't post about her miracle pregnancy on Instagram either. But one thing has remained true throughout the ages, and I'm sure you can relate to this. People talk. How many of you have heard of the old war phrase, loose lips sink ships? Anyone? Okay. There's a reason why those ships sunk. People heard about Mary's pregnancy and saw it for themselves, and Joseph happened to hear about Mary being found with child. And it took an angel of the Lord coming to Joseph in a dream to command him to continue into marriage as the contract was not actually broken by Mary at all, but was by divine appointment of the Holy Spirit. All of this was to fulfill the prophecy that we find in Isaiah 7, verse 14, that God promised a sign of the Messiah and a virgin conceiving and bearing a son. And that leads us to our first point today, that we know in Jesus, God comes to be with us based on the virgin conception. Jesus, in Jesus, God comes to be with us through the virgin conception. So who here has heard of Ancestry.com or 23andMe? Has anyone done it before? Okay. It's pretty, from people I've talked to that have done it, they think it's amazing. And these companies are a service that help you understand who your family is and establish your historical identity. That's pretty cool. And this is exactly what Matthew is doing in his first chapter. He's boldly proclaiming that Jesus was proof in the flesh of God keeping his promises to Abraham and David. Genealogy in the Old Testament mattered, and it still matters for us today. Matthew then moves to Jesus' deity, 
describing Jesus' birth being exactly what the Lord had prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, being conceived and born of a virgin. His name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Knowing all of this, Matthew is confidently saying that in his humanity and divinity, Jesus meets the standard for the awaited Messiah. And in order to see how the scripture applies to each of us today as Christians, we have to understand what our identity was before putting our faith and hope in Jesus Christ and what our identity is now in Jesus Christ. Our culture today puts a ridiculously high priority and importance on establishing your identity in the things of this world, your heritage and bloodline in all the wrong ways, your job, your political party, your gender or sexual orientation, your socioeconomic background, and even your image. In Jesus, God came to be with us through his virgin birth so that our identity would be in him. According to scripture, you are either in Christ or you're not. Before coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the world, Satan, and the desires of your flesh. You were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, destined for eternal separation from God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even as we were still dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Dead before Christ, alive with Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, whose Ancestry.com report would read, fully man and fully God, you become a new creation in him. Because of Jesus, the, God the Father adopts us as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. We as people were created by God to desire an identity. But that identity is not meant to be of this world. Everyone else will disappoint you and let you down. You may love your family, or you may not. But they aren't perfect either way, and they will let you down if they haven't yet. You could be the best employee at your job until you fall out of favor or someone better comes along. Your political party has, is, and will continue to disappoint you. Please stop being surprised by that. Please. It's going to keep happening. Your gender or sexual orientation is not the defining aspect of your identity in God's eyes. Your socioeconomic status means nothing if you put your hope and faith in money. And your image in the eyes of the world and social media is based on how it can use you. If you're a Christian, your identity should be in Jesus Christ alone, no one and no thing else. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And it all started with the virgin conception of Jesus. And if God can create everything simply by speaking in Genesis chapter 1, it is certainly not difficult to have a willing virgin in Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
This identity shift Christians have in coming to faith in Jesus is made possible by God coming to be with us in Jesus through the virgin conception, our first point today. This leads us to our second point, that in Jesus, God comes to be with us through the birth of a son. In Jesus, God comes to be with us through the birth of a son. Join me again in Matthew 1, starting in verse 21, please. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So at this point, the angel of the Lord had commanded Joseph to take Mary as his wife, informing him that Mary's conception was from the Holy Spirit, not from infidelity. Men, sometimes we just need crystal clarity on what's going on. Tell me what's going on and what to do about it. And here we have God doing that for us through his angel. Thank you very much, God. The angel then goes on in verse 21 to say that Mary will bear a son, instructed Joseph to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is the most important theme that Matthew turns to in his first chapter. The Jews eagerly anticipated that God was sending a Messiah who would purify his people and offer salvation for his people from oppression. Matthew points to something better, though. This birth of a son will result in salvation for God's people from their sins. In verses 23 and 25, we see that his son's name is both Emmanuel and Jesus. The name Jesus mean, means God saves, which specifies what he does. His messianic title, Emmanuel, specifies who he is, God with us. It's not a coincidence that Matthew finishes his gospel with Jesus' words saying this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A promise kept. Have you ever received a gift that wasn't what you were asking for or you just didn't expect it, but it ended up exceeding every expectation that you had? Has anyone had that happen to them? Okay, yeah, a couple of us. Yeah, I have a grandson named Xander. He turned two years old in October, and he is obsessed with cars, trucks, and farming equipment, specifically tractors. Although Xander is also easily entertained by empty boxes, too, so we have to keep that in mind. At his birthday party back in October, when he was handed a wrapped gift that my wife and I had given him, he was entertained just by ripping off the bow, tearing off the paper, and just playing with the box. But then that box opened, and he saw a brand new green tractor backpack. Yeah! Xander's previous state of contentment 
immediately changed as his eyes bulged out of his head and he belted out his signature toddler pterodactyl screech of joy. If you have young children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't lost your hearing already, I'm pretty sure that his joy could be heard from two counties over. That's how loud it was. The Jews, likewise, were expecting God to send a Messiah that would purify his people and offer deliverance from oppression. Instead, something much better happened. God came to be with us through the birth of a son that would save his people from their sins. Who else here is grateful for that? I know I am. It's an amazing gift. As we enter the Christmas season today and shop for gifts to give our loved ones, consider God's gift. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 illustrates this gift so clearly to us. And it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The gift of God is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, God with us. Now, with God coming to be with us and Jesus being born, the incredible occurred so that we might receive the ultimate gift. One of my favorite people here at this campus is one of our elders, Vince Messina. He's my spiritual mentor, and he likes to ask me questions that keep me up at night. I'll be in the process of going to bed, I'm winding down, and all of a sudden, the question. I still don't have an answer. That's what he does to me. And the question he asked about this exact passage today was this. Why did God choose Mary? Did you ever wonder that or think about that? Why did God choose Mary? If you look at today's passage, you see that God choosing Mary almost led to a divorce until God sent an angel to explain his plan to each of them. To me, that's what makes this story so incredible. God chose Mary because she was part of his promises through additional prophecy. For example, Mary was of King David's lineage, according to the book of Luke. Mary was engaged to Joseph, whose heritage would require him to visit Bethlehem at just the right time, according to Micah 5, verse 2. Mary was a virgin with a good reputation, so that the virgin birth was believable, not just to her family, but to everyone else in her community. And then finally, Mary herself was from Nazareth, which fulfilled prophecies about the Messiah's upbringing. Jesus himself would go on to fulfill over 300 individual prophecies. Jesus fulfilled part of the covenant made with Abraham with the rest to come in the future. He fulfilled the covenant made with David. He fulfilled the old covenant law made with Moses in Israel, ushering in the new covenant of grace through himself as the perfect sacrifice on the cross. And then, after Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within every believer the Holy Spirit is still God with us, but also in us. So, we go back to the original question. Do you believe that God keeps his promises? I know many of you here today are struggling. You lost your job, 
have financial concerns, you're struggling with injury or illness, you have a child struggling with illness, you're grieving the death of someone you love, your marriage is struggling. You're struggling with a wayward adult child or in the process of fostering and adopting and are terrified of having that hope and joy torn away from you at any moment. Or maybe you're even struggling with your mental health or self-image. As we start the Advent season today, be encouraged that God does keep his promises. God did not promise us an earthly life without suffering, though. The reality is, is that this life on earth is the worst of hell that believers will ever experience, but the best of heaven that non-believers will ever see. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, there's still time to turn away from your sin, confess it to God, and believe that in Jesus, God comes to be with us as our Lord and Savior. So what are we to do with all this today? So what? If you're a Christian, God in us, the Holy Spirit has given you spiritual gifts. Use them. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, we have a class to help you figure that out. Use your spiritual gifts. Live a questionable life. Now, I need to clarify when I say live a questionable life, I don't mean act shady to other people and don't start saying, oh, well, Andy said, live a questionable life, so I'm going to be shady. No. When I, what I mean by questionable is that I want you to ask yourself, am I living a life that when other people see me in daily life, they ask, what's different about them? What's different about you? Apart from the world, what is it? And there are some suggestions that I can make about how we can use our spiritual gifts to be different than other people of this world. For example, as much as we are still dealing with some of the negativity from the election cycle and just social unrest, when you see someone, encourage them. Here at church, at home, at work, at school, wherever you go. You have no idea how a word of encouragement at just the right time can mean so much from something that seems so little. You can invite people that you know that don't have close family to celebrate Christmas with you. And if you really want to turn the world upside down, and I mean really turn the world upside down, if you know a couple of young children here at the church or at work or in your social circle, they desperately need a date night. Desperately. Offer to watch their children for a night. You will bless their family beyond comprehension with just one night. One of the ways that I've been personally blessed by others in a God-in-us way has been through my life group. If you're not in one, I sincerely recommend that you get into a life group. In November of 2020, my wife Dawn and I actually contracted COVID-19 for the first time. She had a mild case, praise God, and I was fine for the first week until things got ugly. It started with 104.6 degree fever, ended up going to the hospital, being treated for COVID pneumonia, and then going into my third week with it, I would sit on the floor of my shower with hot water running down, just trying to get some mild breathing relief. 
And I remember having two very difficult conversations with God in the shower, back-to-back days, asking, how are you glorified in this? How does any of this glorify you? With me being in a, a mess on the floor. The only response the Holy Spirit gave me was this, and it was clear as day, not audible, but every time I asked the question, the same response. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I had no idea what to do with that, but he did. Thank God that he knew what he was doing. The Holy Spirit spurred a member of my life group named Joy to intervene. When she heard that I wasn't improving in my third week, she said, that's it, I've heard enough, it's time to try something different. And she dropped the medication off at my door. Within 12 hours, I had no issues breathing. A week after Joy acted in obedience to the Holy Spirit, I was back at work. I can't possibly repay Joy for that debt. But with God in me, I'm able to serve in other ways and bless other people. Because my body reacted so strongly to COVID in creating antibodies, I'm able to donate blood, and I do that as often as I can. And I've also spent time ministering to other people who have gone through COVID and have been fearful of it. In Jesus, God comes to be with us, and his Holy Spirit is God in us. Because of Jesus coming to be with us, we can confidently proclaim, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we enter this Advent season, let's be a joy to someone and let's prepare our hearts and minds this way. Not only to remember Christ's first coming, but to anticipate and hope his second coming. That way, we'll be living as if Jesus is Lord, because he is. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.